Welcome to episode 31 of the Wayback Music Machine podcast. Aaron, we've got a pretty cosmopolitan uh, road trip going on this week, don't we? <laughs> well, I wore my finest Sunday duds. Because, yeah, me you know, too. Me too. Yeah. We are hitting three of the biggest and most important cities in the world. I think we're going, what, New York, uh, Los Angeles, and London. So this ought to be very, very fun. Not Bancroft? Because you mentioned, but it's just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to be a little jet lag too by the end of this trip. Oh, I tell you, I'm going to be, uh, uh, yeah, for sure. Or or not, maybe we'll be so jazzed up with all the great stuff we're talking about, you know? Oh, yeah, we've got three great stories today, and we're introducing a new segment, which I cannot wait. Uh, me too, me too. Well, you ready, my friend? I'm always ready. Let's go. Maps? Check. Snacks? Double check. Tunes? Check. I'm Tony Stewart. I'm Aaron Badgley. And we are cruising the rock and roll highway in our way back music machine. Are you ready, my friend? I sure am. I have the feeling this is going to be the start of a great adventure. Kind of a magical mystery tour. Somehow I knew you were going to say that. So we've got three great choices here. We can either go to London, New York, or Los Angeles. Where do you want to go first? I really want to go to London and check out the uh, Wax Museum, because I hear they got some really cool exhibits. Well, let's do that. So let's hit uh, London, England, and uh, let's go to November 15th, 1986. So, Tony, we're here in uh, London. Uh, for a couple of reasons. One, to get some really good fish and chips. But the, the main reason is we're here in 1986. And it surprisingly took to 1986 for this somewhat historical event to happen. And that is that the entire top five singles in England were by female artists or vocalists, I should say. Is that incredible? From from 1953 to 86. Yeah, I was shocked by how long it took for something like this to happen. But uh, all five, which is absolutely amazing. And uh, why don't we go over that list? Because there's some great songs on there, too. Some great songs. And I also want to point out, when I was looking at the top five, it's also quite... Like there's a couple from the U.S., a couple from the U.K., and one from Jamaica. Like, it's very almost... You know, United Nations too, in and in, in a lot of weird ways, eh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a really eclectic mix, and um, of course, I remember the number one song. Boy, that was all over the place uh, oh. <laughs> that summer. <laughs> Did you like Top Gun? I I went and saw it. I didn't love it. I mean, I've never been a I've never been a big Tom Cruise fan. I just have to admit that off the top. So, I, I, may, I may may I digress? Sure, go ahead. Okay, I'm a bit of a stickler for, for facts. And in the film, Tom Cruise is talking about his mom and dad dancing to a certain song. And he t his parents die in 1966. I know this is because it's, I remember. Yeah. But the song they like to dance to was Sitting on the Dock of the Bay by Otis Redding, which came out in 67. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was the only one who stood up at the theater going, what the hell? <laughs> good catch good catch <laughs> so number one yeah take my breath away by berlin from top gun and i think top gun was uh it was probably the highest grossing movie that year i would bet as well 
Yeah, but yeah, for sure. Well, that was when Tom Cruise is at his commercial peak. But the other thing is, uh, and not to get too into Berlin, but Take My Breath Away was so different from what they had been doing up to that point. I don't know if you remember their single before it, which was called Sex, I'm a... And uh, do you remember that song? No, not at all, actually. Yeah, look, look it up. You'll be, you'll be like, that's the same band. Oh, it wow. Is. Okay. Well, then that's a, that must be going on the uh, Spotify playlist, I'm assuming. Oh, you know it. <laughs> oh, excellent, excellent. So what was number two? Well, number two, I remember this song as well. This is a great song. You Keep Me Hanging On by Kim Wilde. Yeah. She, she, uh, she came from a bit of a musical family, right? Um, her father um, was a guy named Marty Wilde, and um, he, he was like a producer, and he played on TV shows, but he was also an early rock and roller in England, so she had it kind of in her blood. Yeah, it's a great cover version, eh? Oh, it's an excellent cover version. And number three, my goodness, well, I would have been 1986. Yeah, 17. So I... Careful now, careful. Yeah, but I had the hugest, hugest crush on Susanna Hoffs. I just thought she was the most beautiful woman in uh, pop music, boy. It was the the eyes. It was the eyes. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, Walk Like an (laughs) Egyptian, uh, number three. Yeah, I think I think you weren't alone with that uh, crush. Let's <laughs> just say, I, I also liked Jane Weedland from the Go Go's, but that's another story for another time. Yep. Now here's a group at number four. Do you, do you know Mel and Kim? I don't really, to be honest. No. So they were a duo, actually born in Jamaica, and they had about four four hits in the UK. Um, Nothing to write home about, but not bad, like not offensive, but uh, they never made it. They never broke in North America, which always surprised me. But there you go. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? When you when you see uh, an artist, uh, I was just talking about that in a music class at the high school, actually, you know, that uh, there was an artist I listened to about 10 years ago that I was certain I was certain was going to break out. And uh, she never did. Her name was Diane Birch. And oh, yeah, she had, you know, what? all the appearances of being on the verge of superstardom and something happened, you know, and it's interesting when that happens to, to bands and it gives you an idea how tough this industry is, right? Yeah. It's, it's, and it's so unpredictable, right? Like you, you get everything lined up and you think, okay, this is going to burst, but well, that's right. And she was doing all the, the talk show circuit and, and getting tons of, uh, radio play back at that time but then all of a sudden something happened and uh she's still around but i mean you know doing the occasional club gig and things but never never broke out yeah sad sad although although that was a nice segue she never broke out (laughs) (laughs) it was an accidental segue folks but uh that was a good one that was a really good i i i i i how to you, Tony? That was great. <laughs> so number five was uh, "Swing Out Sister" with lead vocalist Corinne Drury. Uh, see, now I had a big crush on Corinne. I love that song. Break Do you know the song? Yeah, I know. That's a great song. Oh man, was that terrific or what? Man, that was, was a fantastic. fantastic song. Great horns in it, and just a, a really a feel good song, right? Well, that's right. And uh, you know, for anybody who's listening right now, we always put in our show notes a, a link to a Spotify playlist that Aaron does up, and you can listen to all the music that we're talking about today. 
And if even if we give it a casual mention, he's uh, always taking notes while we're chatting here. <laughs> and uh, you're able to write when you're driving in the Wayback Machine. I can't do that. I get motion sick if I write or yeah. read. So, you know, my hat's off to you, sir. Well, you're also driving. So, um, you know, to be fair. Yeah, I suppose. But even if I wasn't driving, I couldn't do it. I couldn't. I can't write or look at anything while I'm driving or if I'm in the passenger seat. It's forget it, you know. What about if you're on a bus? Say, oh, worse, worse. Really, eh? Oh, yeah. Yep, yeah. not fun. No. Well, then, then you then you shouldn't do it. So No, that's right. But you know what? Let's switch to a topic a little more pleasant than motion sickness. <laughs> Where do you well, want to... Well, I was going to say, before we go, yeah. just as a contrast, if you look at the top five in America. Oh, yes. I'd like to, uh, I'd like to hear about I, that. Well, I bring this up because, because I know your Italian background, and it's like the Italians took over the top five that week. Well, that's right. Because <laughs> <laughs> you have Bon Jovi at number five with You Give Love a Bad Name. Eddie Money, Italian fella, uh, take me home tonight, just like Ronnie said. Uh, number three was Madonna, another... Italian, yes. true blue. So it's like the the, the you know the mafia here. That's right. uh, <laughs> <laughs> number two is the Human League with their. I love the song Human. I just love that song. Yeah, that is a fantastic song. Well, this whole list. I mean, yeah, you know, true the, blue is you know one of Madonna's better tunes in my opinion. So, well, because it's her early tunes. I I think she was really good when she was you know her younger music. It's, more of the last few albums are a bit questionable. Now, I, had a, I have a Madonna quick side note here. Oh, I'd like to hear it. Well, when I was at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, in Cleveland, they had an exhibit all about Madonna by the photographer who followed her throughout her career. And uh, mm. so fascinating, actually, like uh, hundreds and hundreds of photographs of her and just watching the change, you know, super yeah. interesting. I, I loved it. I'm not a huge Madonna fan. I know Cynthia liked her, but uh, didn't do a lot for me musically, but uh, really interesting to see her metamorphosis over the years, you know? Well, I think I think that she's an artist that you can, you know, they, they use this word a lot, but she really did for many years, reinvent, her, reinvent herself, right? Well, and an incredibly hardworking person too. I mean, that, I think that's something that people forget is, uh, you know, she she worked hard to to climb up that ladder and stay up there too, right? Because she was always, oh, yeah. always in the public eye all the time. Not always for good, but yeah. No, um, <laughs> absolutely. And number one, a band that my wife loves that I, I'm going to full confession, full uh, transparency, I was never big on boston um with amanda at number one i'm not a big boston fan tony sorry well you know what i'm not either and and, and i'll tell you why <laughs> um i'm not a huge boston fan because i find them pretentious does, does that is that a fair criticism 100 percent, 100 percent. yes i'm oh. with you okay so yeah but that's an interesting top five and what a contrast to what was going on in britain eh I know, so funny, eh? But there you go. More more uh, power pop in America, I guess you could say. Well, that's right. So where do you want to go next? We can either hit L.A. or we can hit New York City. Hmm. You know what? We should go to L.A. because our last new segment is connected to New York City as well. Well, and you know what? Also, I wouldn't mind some sunshine because it's been raining steady here in London. So yeah, LA Tower, Tower of London in the rain, eh? So depressing. Well, I'm going to punch it in here. Uh, let's go to 
1990 in Los Angeles, and let's do uh, November 15th. So we'll be back in a bit. I, I just got to say that Tony is the king of segues because he talked about the rain in England and we're in La- uh, Los Angeles where it's not raining, but it has a lot to do with a song called Blame It on the Rain. Tony, I, I bow to you, man. That's great. Yeah, I'm on a roll here today, aren't I? <laughs> Full disclosure, <laughs> though that was a totally accidental se- uh, segue uh, once again, but... I'm not so sure. <laughs> <laughs> we're chatting about Millie Vanilli. Yeah, fill us in, Tony. What happened? <laughs> so, Millie Vanilli, uh, this is the day that... Now, look, I guess the first thing is, I don't think anybody was really shocked by this, but... <laughs> Aaron is gagging on a glass of water here, folks. <laughs> oh, man, that could have been a good spit take, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so, Frank Farian, who produced Millie Vanilli... Uh, held a press conference and he confirmed the rumors that uh, Rob and Fab indeed had not sung on any of their hit records. What a shock. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, what a there was a lot of uh, fallout from this. This really impacted them because, of course, the, they had to give back their Grammy. And uh, what, what was the Grammy they won? It was Best New Artist, wasn't it? Best New Artist, yeah. Yeah, Best and they had to give it back. And it really impacted the rest of their careers, um, you know, in some way, and not not a good way. And which one was it? It was it was uh, Rob, right? Rob Pilatus was found dead uh, later on at, at the age of thirty three mm-hmm. in nineteen ninety eight. Uh, he just never could deal with the fallout from this and suspected overdose, you know. So it now the other one, Fab, went on to do some singing. And he had an okay voice, but uh, the story behind this is fascinating, isn't it? Like, oh, the, it's incredible! Yeah, fantastic. Well, the song was already the, the group Milli Vanilli was already a hit before you could see who was singing. Does that make sense? Yeah, and you know, I I watched an interview with Farian later on, like Frank Farian, and he didn't think it was a big deal at all that they were lip syncing this. He said, like, what's the big deal? Like, this stuff's done all the time, mm-hmm. and. Um, mm-hmm maybe in Europe they just have more of a an acceptance of that do you think because he he really was like I don't I don't see the big deal here folks you know like uh, well they got found out because during a concert to 80,000 people didn't their song girl you know it's true get stuck on a on a loop or something yeah it got stuck on the loop on the chorus I think yeah in, in Connecticut and at a theme park and of course, they ended up running off stage. and and But, you know, what's interesting is that was not widely publicized at the time. Like, they kept going. But at this, it all blew up when they had this press conference and people were out for blood. And, you know, I don't like lip syncing. But you look at the list of people that were lip syncing at that time. It was pretty widespread, right? They Paula Abdul did it. And she had hits back then. I mean, a bunch of them. Britney Spears, Madonna. Yep. Uh, Janet Jackson, right? some yep some a-list names from that time and it makes sense i mean uh the way that they were dancing around on stage there's no way that you could sing that like that uh unless you're really really exceptional but um it it was just a common practice to lip sync that stuff i I would i would if i was dancing like they danced i would i would need a defib 
on the uh, science day. <laughs> <laughs> While the chorus of the song is exactly. playing. <laughs> okay, full disclosure, and I hope this hasn't ruined our friendship, but I didn't mind the Middle of the Night album at all. I thought there were some good songs on it. Well, no, they were okay. It was, it was catchy pop, right? It, it, yeah. You, you took it for what it was, right? Exactly. It wasn't going to set the world on fire. Did you... Okay, when we were researching this, I didn't realize that they were also sued by David Clayton Thomas. No, I didn't realize that either. <laughs> I'm, and now I'm trying to picture it in my head. So he said that uh, his song from 1968, Spinning Wheel, which is one of my favorite songs, um, which song did he say that they were ripping off? All, all or nothing. Okay. So I Googled it today and I listened to it on YouTube. And what I'm going to do is on the, the Spotify list, I'll put them back to back because you can actually hear it. You go, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. there you go. Yeah. Because those uh, yeah. copyright cases are always, it's it's tough sometimes, you know, because there's only so many notes and so many chords that you can put together. I know, but talk about kicking a guy when he's down. It's like enough. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's like, okay, okay. It's fraud, whatever, but stop. Leave them alone. But anyway, yeah, that's what happened. So, And this was a huge deal. And uh, Farian had to break the story as well because there was uh, a lot of pressure. Uh, Rob and Fab were, were really bugging him about, we want to sing the next mm-hmm. album ourselves. And, you know, according to him, he said they weren't, it's not like they were terrible singers, but they weren't great Mm-hmm. Like the people mm-hmm. who are actually doing it, right? Have you ever heard uh, Fab sing? I have actually. After well, we had talked about this, I think a while back, just briefly. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you you mentioned to me you should Google it. He was he's not a horrible singer at all. By no, any not at all. I mean, he's he's no. not a you know a frontman type singer. His voice, but not terrible. Certainly better than some who are out there now. Uh, mm-hmm. Packing oh, stadiums, agree. you know. I agree. But this blew up, and this was a massive story that year. Maybe the biggest musical story in 1990 that I can think of. Yeah, I do remember when the story broke. I think it may have been at the press conference when they actually tried to sing a cappella, and it was a bit of a disaster. It was like, boys, no. <laughs> Just stop. Just enough. Stop. Just, just stop it now, please. But yeah. can, can you imagine, you know, the crowd when they had their lip sync disaster in Connecticut was 80,000 people. Oh, I know. Imagine having that happen. Like, what would you do? Well, well, they ended up running off stage, right? And Which is, you know, we talked about this. We talked about, was it, uh, who was it on Saturday Night Live? Ashley Simpson? Uh, was it Ashley? Yeah, Ashley Simpson. Yep. Who, who just gave up. Or I saw a couple of years ago, Mariah Carey on a, a New Year's Eve show. Oh, yeah. I or, was cheering when that happened. Me too. <laughs> I was full-fledged rock and roll. <laughs> you know, no no big surprise that uh, I detest Mariah Carey and her music. And ugh. Oh, man. Well, that was fun. I think that's the worst thing you can do is to run off the stage. I don't know. I don't know what else you can do except maybe just cut the song or do something. But, but here's my question to you, Tony. What was the sound guy doing? Like, why didn't he just do something like stop it or? Yeah, I wonder. I wonder. Like, very, very strange. But you know, the other thing is, it's not, it's not like lip syncing was a brand new phenomenon in 1990, right? I mean, American Bandstand, that was all lip synced for the most part, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. But but, but look at Jan and Dean. They they were caught lip syncing for the, well, with a record that skipped as opposed to a tape loop. But um it's been going on for years. Uh, a lot, yeah, you're right. American Bandstand was 100%. Well, when Pink Floyd 
made their debut and Sid Barrett just stared at the camera and didn't open his mouth and his vocals going. It's like, <laughs> uh, I think there's something wrong here, guys. But yeah, it's been going on forever. And, and there, Billy Vanilli were not the only band ever. Um, Black Box got into trouble as well uh, because the woman they had in the video was not the woman who did the vocals. You know, Everybody Dance Now, that song. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of it going on. And still, I'm going to say it still does happen. Oh, without, just, without question. Just saying. Just saying. <laughs> now, we've uh, fast-forwarded uh, four years here. Is that a word, fast-forwarded? Can I say that? Uh, yeah. I uh, think. You, I, I, I'll, yeah, go ahead. Say it. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I just don't want the grammar police coming and hunting me down here, you know. But... Uh, so we've you're a teacher, man. You're a teacher. <laughs> so if we fast forward, uh, it's four years, right? Because we were just in 1986, and now we're in 1990. Yeah. And you've got the top five from the U.S. here. And, and boy, what a change. And I, I, unlike the other top fives we talked about, I don't own a single record in this top five. Yeah, I don't Wait either. Um, number five, Whitney Houston with I'll Be Your Baby Tonight. Uh, I I'm sorry. Full disclosure, do not like the next song. Delight Groove is in the heart. Not my cup of tea. Same here. Uh, Elias with more than words can say. MC Hammer uh, with pray. Uh, and number one was our favorite Tony, our very favorite, the love of our lives, Mariah Carey. Love takes time. All right. Yeah. What a difference in the charts, eh? Oh, it's terrible. But you know, as, uh, as they say, uh, bad taste isn't a crime, right? So, but, but let me ask you this question. The first five we talked about, you're going to hear still. You, I hear Bon Jovi all the time. That's right. I hear, right? When was the last time you heard Mariah Carey's song, what was it called? Um, Love Takes Time. Or when was the last time you heard MC Hammer on the radio? Yeah, that's true, right? So it's not you know, uh, hasn't uh, stood the test of time like some of those other songs have no no or even human by the human league now i'm excited excited about our next uh, leg of this journey we're heading back to new york city on november 20th 1976 and you're right this does kind of tie into our new segment that we're introducing so what do you say we head to the big apple here in 76 sounds good You know, London's great and L.A. is always sunny, but there's just something about New York City that uh, stands out for me. I just love coming here. I do, too. Love the city. And this is a great story and such a great performance to watch. And I'm so glad that we've got this one, you know, that we can go back and watch footage of this. This was really fun. And it was Paul Simon was hosting SNL. And he invited George Harrison on, and they did such a wonderful version of the iconic Here Comes the Sun. And they also sang um, Paul Simon's song, Homeward Bound. But there's yeah. a, an extra part of this, which I'm going to let you describe to the folks at home. It, it's just so, so cool. And what, you know, it's the what if game, right? 
Oh, always the one. Well, so first of all, let's back up a bit. And and back in 76, Tony, you may remember, there was all these promoters offering the Beatles ridiculous amounts of money to reform or come back together, reunite and do a concert. I think by 76, it had gotten to $50 million in 76. So that's a lot of money today, right? But it was a lot of money then too. So, so Lauren Michaels in true fashion offered the Beatles $3,000 to reform, to reunite on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> and my favorite line was, you can divide it up any way you want. If you want to give Ringo less, that's up to you. <laughs> Poor Ringo. Um, Poor Ringo. So when you watch the episode that, that you're talking about with George Harrison, at the very beginning, you can see Harrison talking to Paul Simon, or sorry, to Lauren Michaels. And, and Harrison's going, well, I thought it was 3000 each. And, and Lauren's going, no, no, it's 3000 for the four of you. I love it. Harrison says, it seems rather chintzy because I'm only going to get $750. So Lauren leans over and goes, well, I'll give you 250 more if you do the opening. And Harrison looks right at the camera, live from New York. It's Saturday night. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> I've got to find that episode. I've never seen that. I've only seen the clips of them performing. Oh, it's so great. But watching that night is Paul McCartney and John Lennon. McCartney was visiting Lennon, and uh, which at that point McCartney was doing more and more. And they both thought it would be a really good joke to just go down to this because Lennon lived uh, the Dakota, which is about a you know ten minute cab ride to uh, Thirty Rock, Thirty Rockefeller. So they thought about it. They really did think about it. But um, as John said, they got tired. <laughs> <laughs> but can you imagine? Like uh, you know, there, there's the what if game. What if they had gone? Uh, How amazing would that have been? Yeah, it would have been quite incredible, wouldn't it have? I mean, first of all, have you seen a movie called The Two of Us? Um, not sure that I have, no. It's a fictional account of this. Oh, okay. Um, and it's a good movie, actually. The, 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 I forget who they have playing John and Paul, but it's not bad. And you do kind of get that kind of, what if they just, you know, jumped in the cab and knocked on the door and said, hey, we're here for the show. You know, oh, well, it'd be amazing, right? And and uh, yeah. who knows how the next few years would have unfolded too, right? In terms of what they mm -hmm. were doing as projects, and oh, it just blows my mind thinking about it. To be honest, you know, oh, it's 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 one part sad and one part funny. Like it's funny because it's such a Beatles story that they would get tired, but <laughs> sad because it's that lost opportunity, right? Oh, that's right. And, and I mean, like you say, there was just such a huge appetite for it, but um, well. At that time, do you remember Got to Get You Into My Life was in the top 10, which was a 10-year-old song at that point. Um, and rock and roll music, the, the, an album they... So, so it was Beatles Rock and Roll was number two or three on the charts. They were huge. The Beatles had this big resurgence in 76. Yeah, it's amazing. And Simon and Harrison, I mean, that performance, wow. They are so great together. Oh, I agree. I, I, I actually think Homeward Bound is is better than the original simon and garfunkel yeah you know what i think i would agree with that too and uh they their voices just go beautifully together and the guitars right it uh and they the look of joy on their faces right they're just having yeah. a, a ball and george for me whenever he smiles i love that smile you know it had a, but, but where the hell did he get that sweater it just <laughs> <laughs> I love George, but that sweater is a bit. Um, hmm. Yeah, I don't know that you could call George a snazzy dresser, though, right? To no. be honest, <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Um, 
And for those of you who go back and watch the entire episode, Harrison also showed, and this is pre-MTV, he had done two music videos for two songs off his then-current album called 33 and a Third. And one of them was absolutely hilarious, called This Song, which was, uh, as you all know, Harrison was sued over My Sweet Lord. But it's Harrison in a courtroom. And he's, it's, it's like, this song has nothing tricky about it. This song ain't black and white, ain't good or bad. It's a great video. If you, if you want a good chuckle, look up the video for this song. It's, and, and the other video was Crackerbox Palace, which I love also. I'll have to do that. Now, we're going to cue into our new segment. Oh, we're, wait, wait, wait. I oh, dug up the charts. And you know what? I did it again. It's, it's uh, the, last the last segment, folks. I forget the charts every time. Because you're so excited about the new segment. I we? think so. So let's go over the charts. What was on the charts? So, okay. Number five was uh, former DJ Rick Dees and his cast of idiots with Disco Duck Part One. Oh, my gosh. I remember that. Yeah. I like to forget. It was a former number one, actually. Um, number four. Muskrat Love by Captain Antoniel. Okay, can which, I can I just give you a little uh, Captain Antoniel is a guilty pleasure for me. I hate to say it. I I was just going to say that. <laughs> like I love that song. They did love will keep us together. I God, I, I'm embarrassed to admit that, but it's a guilty pleasure. I like the I like the synthesizer at the end of Muskrat Love. I think it sounds really cool. Yeah, no, <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> this is why we're such good friends. <laughs> Number three is uh, "Love So Right" by the Bee Gees. Number two, one of my all-time favorites, artists and songs, Gordon Lightfoot with the "Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald." Oh, what a fabulous song! And the fact that in the peak of disco, it was number two. Yeah. Wow. Uh, that is number actually one. astonishing, isn't it? Ah, oh, it's unbelievable. And number one is the uh, Tonight's the Night by Rod Stewart. Oh, that's an interesting chart, too. Very 1976 for sure. <laughs> yes, it is. All right, over to you. All right, Captain. so we're going to introduce our new segment because, you know, we always uh, go back to the present and we talk about the Beatles. But we're both big Elvis fans as well. And again, when we're researching for this show, the Beatles come up all the time for every day during the week, and so does Elvis. And so we thought, you know, what if we talked about um, a segment where we discuss our idols and we came up with a snazzy title for this segment? We're going to either talk about the Beatles or Elvis, depending on the week. But we said, let's call it From Memphis to Merseyside. So I love that alliteration. But... uh, Are you ready to uh, go back to the present and do a little from Memphis to Merseyside chat? Yes, I am. All right, let's go. (laughs) Well, here we are back in the present. And before we talk about our musical idols, Aaron, do you remember where you were when Peter Pocklinton announced that Wayne Gretzky was being traded from the Oilers to the L.A. Kings? Absolutely. I sure do. Um, Vividly. How about you? I do as well, because that was something that nobody thought could ever happen, right? Gretzky was supposed to be untouchable. And what a a huge shock that was to to everybody. And changed uh, the hockey world forever, too. You know, just all of a sudden, nobody was untouchable anymore. Well, no, no one was untouchable. And it also signified the, the day of the 
player playing for the same team, like uh, a Bobby Hull or something, was over, you know? Now, folks who are listening out there are probably wondering, why are these two uh, nattering on about uh, hockey? (laughs) But there's a reason for that, is because if we back it up into the 50s, if we go back to the 50s when Elvis was king, 1955, right? Mm -hmm. Sam Phillips at Sun Studios on November 21st, 1955, sold Elvis Presley's recording contract to RCA Records. And it was a pretty princely sum for the time. It was $35,000. But what a shock that was for people. Um, Nobody expected that Sam Phillips would ever sell Elvis Presley's contract. Well, I, I think that people thought he would be a fool to do so. Because Elvis was on the cusp of just breaking, right? Well, he was. Yeah, and and then after he broke with RCA, right? Because he uh, hit number one with Heartbreak Hotel as his first single with RCA. But after he broke, everybody was playing the guessing game and saying, you know, well, Sam, like, why did you you do this? Like, why would you sell Elvis's rights? You know, and it reminded me totally of the Wayne Gretzky story. Um, And it's because, uh, Phillips said later, if we had have kept Elvis on, Sun Records would have gone bankrupt. It was just getting way too expensive to, you know, to press all those records, promote Elvis, do yeah. it all. It, it was, he would have been bankrupt. He had no choice. And I think, you know, for Elvis's career, it was the right decision. I mean, he needed a, a bigger label to help him break out even further. But, you know, such is life, eh? You know, but what was, what was interesting about the deal, which is very not typical these days, is that his five singles that he recorded for for Sun actually went to RCA. So they actually got everything. When they signed Elvis, they got all of the music. So that means that that meant that um, you know, nowadays when an artist changes labels, the old the old label can reissue greatest hits packages and stuff. Sun couldn't do that. Well, and you know, I am guessing that that speaks a little to uh, Sam Phillips' character, doesn't it? Because I think oh. he could have easily held on to those, right? Mhm. And uh, um but um I was going to say, yeah. So here, here, here are all these old Sun records go to RCA, and you know, it, it, and he broke. He broke big, right? Well, yeah, and uh, it was massive. I mean, the number one recording artist in the world, all of a sudden, you know. And RCA, I, I think we should talk a little bit about what RCA did for the recording industry too, though, because that was a huge company and came up with some of the technology that, well, is still around today, right? That were that that uh, audiophiles still listen to these, right? Well, yeah, the first 33 and a third album, right? Yeah, that was, what, 1931 or so? Yeah, which which is interesting because that's still, at that time, people were still buying 78s, which are 10-inch singles, basically, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they came out with the uh, 33 and a third RPM record and the 45 uh, single. So, And you know... You know the very first RCA forty five single was? No, I'm curious what was it? Eddie Eddie Arnold. Oh wow. The, yeah, the old country. And it was pressed on um on blue vinyl. The original copies. Oh wow, isn't that interesting? Yeah. Now I'm really curious because like you say, we're talking about November twenty first, nineteen fifty five. Elvis is big, but he's not like humongous yet, like he's gonna be, but what was on the charts at this time? Yeah, this is a weird one. I and and I'm I'm embarrassed to say I couldn't I couldn't find this gentleman's first name, but I think it's Ronald Draper. Was at number 5 with Shifting Whispering Sands, which is a beautiful song, but I I 
just couldn't find his first name. Number four was our good friend Mitch Miller. Sing along with Mitch, folks. Yellow Rose of Texas. Number three was the Four Lads, Moments to Remember. Number two was the Four Aces. You know, my great uncle used to drink Four Aces, but it was a different kind of Four Aces. Um, Love is a many splendored thing. And number one was Roger Williams, Autumn Leaves. So, Tony, given that top five, when Heartbreak Hotel came out, like it just had to be the most incredible sounding record. And in fact, RCA didn't know how to categorize him, right? They didn't know what category to put him in. They didn't know if he was country, was he rock? You know what I mean? Like they, it was, it was an interesting, um, it was weird because they didn't know what to do with that song and it broke it was huge, huge well, absolutely you should because yeah you're right here was a white artist who sounded and sang like he was black and was obviously influenced by uh, the african-american musicians that he listened to all his life and uh, you know all of a sudden right th- there it is you know pushing rock and roll forward and making it mainstream and and part of the reason we wanted to do this segment is because you just can't overstate the importance of Elvis Presley in rock and roll history. And and the weird thing about that song, you're a musician, so you know better than I was. I always thought it, it it's not really a, a ballad. It's not a slow ballad, but it's not a rock and roll song. It's this really weird in between. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And like you say, this it could easily have been on the country charts or, you know, I guess like it's a type of rockabilly. You're right. It it uh, it fits in a, in a few different styles for sure. But there you have it, folks. So that is our from Memphis to Merseyside moment. A little more alliteration there. Look at that. <laughs> you're just you're just killing it today, man. Well, that's you're right. In fine it. form. In fine form. Fine form. So, Aaron, this is uh, this is the end of our road trip. Uh, I'd like to thank the folks at home for listening, and uh, be sure to give Aaron's Spotify playlist uh, a listen. I can't wait to hear that. I really enjoy after you send those to me, uh, checking oh, those thanks. out. Thanks. Thank you very much. And uh, we appreciate you folks for uh, listening to the show, and always welcome your feedback or comments, and we look forward to interacting with you for, for, uh, on social media. And I am excited now about this new segment. I can't wait to see what we talk about next week. And Aaron, it's been a pleasure as always. You know what, Tony? The pleasure is all mine, and and uh, I'm just glad I found a, a, a kindred spirit when it comes to Captain Antonio. Oh, that's right. I uh, I can't believe I admitted that on uh, on air, but uh, that's you, okay. You admitted a couple of things today that you know, but it's okay. Yeah, that's all right. Okay, we'll see you again soon, folks. Music for today's episode of the Wayback Music Machine podcast was written by Rick Denee. The show notes, chart selection, and Spotify playlist were created by Aaron Badgley. And the artwork, recording, editing, and sound production was done by Tony Stewart. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to tell a friend or two. And don't forget to click follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast player to get the latest episodes automatically. And we'd love it if you would leave us a review. You can also engage with the show by going on our website and leaving us a voicemail. We may even play your voicemail on an upcoming episode. Thanks for taking this road trip with us, and we'll see you next time on the Wayback Music Machine Podcast. Hey, turn the radio up. I love this song. The Wayback Music Machine Podcast is a Stewie Tunes production.